if you're going to create a new product, you really need to think about um, creative ways to get it done. Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, I'm welcoming to the show one of the co-founders of Live Swiss Watches, a brand that creates unique handcrafted limited edition Swiss wristwatches that stand the test of time. Chaz, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How's it going? Oh, man. I almost got caught up on that tongue twister that you threw at me. <laughs> hey, listen, you did pretty good on that, I think. Uh, I have a lot of practice reading and talking at the same time. That is like a skill I picked up doing this podcast for the last three years. So I'm pretty good at it. Well done. Yeah. The, the, the ad reads that our sponsors give us, they I believe it's their job to ruin my life with putting words together that shouldn't like there, there's something to be said about writing copy for reading and then writing copy for speaking. They're 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 two different monsters. Right. Awesome. So, Chaz, uh, take me back to the beginning. What possessed you to start a watch brand? So, a little bit of history about myself. I, as a child, I've been a watch freak. So, I didn't just decide one day to build a brand. I've been obsessed with watches since I was a child. I got my first Swatch watch back in 1983. I don't look that old, but I remember, I remember that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I just became obsessed with it. And so when I, when I got out of college, I, I, um, I actually dropped out, but, uh, I, uh, I got a, I got an opportunity to work for a brand, small brand here in Miami. Uh, they were making Swiss watches. They had their own brand. Um, and they were manufacturing watches in Switzerland and selling them over here in the States. Um, all traditional stuff, obviously, at that time, uh, roughly um, in 1994, 1995. I worked for them for a while. And uh, and I went from be- doing sales to production. And then um, as 2000s came, I, I just obviously... Well, th- that company actually ended up folding or being sold and then folded. And then I ended up going into e-commerce, um, doing watches on e-commerce, buying and selling and trading watches online. And then right after I got married, I just got tired of what I was doing uh, in the sense that I felt like I was just like buying and selling. I was just like basically a facilitator for people that needed watches. I didn't feel like I was actually doing anything or creating anything. And um, obviously with the smartphone and with Facebook marketing and how things were changing, I felt that was the opportunity for us to go ahead and uh, and make a change. So we just, we made the change. And uh, 2012, we started the planning. 2013, um, we started um, actual prototyping and we had this whole idea of how we were going to do things a little bit differently. Um, so we can get into that as well. Oh, no, no, that's a, that's a fantastic story. Now, um, I, I think that it's pretty important to point out that you had a lot of background in the space. Uh, how much of that do you think helped you get things going in the right direction? And how much do you think that your existing knowledge might have hindered things for you know being a scrappy startup? Well, definitely. I mean, I, the fact that I had, I had some um, history in production 
So I understood like what it takes to manufacture a watch. I didn't just like say, okay, here's the design. I'm going to mess down. We're just going to manufacture it. So definitely that helped. I think I had the necessary pieces. And I think what my co-founder, which is my wife, what she brought to the table was organization. And she brought like more structure into how we were going to do things. Um, you know, I had these ideas, but someone had to implement it. So I got really, really lucky. Um, in the sense that I had the prior knowledge and production. I had the experience in e-commerce because I started my own website in 2000. And then, and then, um, when she came along and just things, just, you know, things just aligned, you know, the, the whole idea of the smartphone, people shopping on online, you know, e-commerce becoming, you know, it, it, it like went from being national to international. And it's just, mm. it's, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, product being sold just in the States now. I mean, we're selling things everywhere in the world. We've, sh- we've actually shipped almost, I think over a hundred countries already. That's awesome. Now, uh, take me back to kind of those first sales though. Uh, you get the prototypes going and you launch, uh, how, what was the go to market strategy? How were you trying to acquire customers back then? Great question. So going back to, um, prototyping and stuff and that part, I'm not a, I'm not a product designer. Um, I have a sense of what I like in the sense, like what I would like to have in a watch, what kind of design elements, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not actually the person that's actually going to do the CAD drawing or do any of those 2D, 3D or any of those type of things. So what we decided was, um, that instead of just hiring a designer, like we decided when we made the brand, we decided right off the bat that it can't be anything traditional. Like it has to be something completely different. So, you know, if we want to succeed, we have to think differently. So we like say, okay, no budget. Like that was our first, our first idea was like, say, okay, what would we do if we had zero budget? Okay. And that's how we, until today, we always question, like every time we do anything, it's still the motto of the brand is to figure out how do we do it without any budget. And then we, then we start adding budget to it once we try and, you know, once we figure out like what we can do, what we can't do. But I think that was always been the mindset. So when we figured out like how we're going to do the design, I said, I'm not hiring a designer to sit in my office who's going to make me crazy and I'm going to make him crazy and we're going to get upset at each other. And it's just, I'm going to end up with one design. So what we decided to do was we actually crowdsourced the design of our first watch. We actually went out and we, we hit up product designers from all over the world using mostly like Behance. And we basically got them to join our challenge. We have, we called it the live design challenge. And we ended up with six winning designs. And I work with all those designers till today. Well, most of them, not all of them, but most of them, I work with them till today. So that was, that was just one way of doing things just completely different. That's from a product perspective. Um, we then, once we had our prototypes and we knew what we wanted to do, um, uh, then we said, okay, now let's sell it. Okay. How do we sell this thing? We need to have like a, we have, we, we believe it's a proven concept, but is it really proven? It's not proven until, until the public mm-hmm. decides that they agree with what we've created. And so the next step was, Let's go to Kickstarter. And that's where we did the Kickstarter campaign. So we did our first Kickstarter campaign, no marketing budget, just friends and family and like people that we knew. And, and, and we did like 200 grand on our first, our first Kickstarter, but it's not really the money because 200 grand. Yeah. It's, it's nice for a first Kickstarter, but it wasn't really about that. It basically proved that people were willing to put the money and it wasn't a, a cheap product. Um, we were selling it for like $400 a watch, you know, for a brand that did not exist six months earlier. And so, you know, we, we proved it on Kickstarter, our first Kickstarter campaign. And then we went again, we went back to Kickstarter. And this time, second time we went to Kickstarter, that's when we started realizing that we, if we want to push, um, you know, if you want to scale this Kickstarter campaign, we need to add 
marketing dollars. And that's when we started adding marketing dollars. Our second campaign, our first campaign, we did 200,000. Our second campaign, we did 1.1 million. So that, that required some marketing campaign. The next campaign that we did was almost 2 million. And we obviously doubled the amount of marketing that we, that we spent. So we did a lot of pre-launch prospecting, telling people, Hey, you know, we, we want to get people excited. We can't just like say, Hey, here's the project. Please back it. We have to kind of warm up these audiences and let them know, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is, this is, you know, who we are. A little bit of some history. I think people need that. So I think that we, the pre-launches were really, really pivotal in making sure that our Kickstarter campaigns, um, were good. And, the other thing that I feel like what we learned from the first Kickstarter campaign is that I realized how many watch freaks there are like me. So, you know, what we didn't realize was I said, okay, I must be like a one-off crazy person that just keeps looking at magazines and, and, and gets really excited every time Facebook shows me an ad for a watch. Um, am I the only person that, and we realized right away that there's a whole community of people like me out there at different levels, obviously, but that just, highly obsessed with watches. And, and so we tapped into that using Kickstarter and also the, the, the brand sort of molded into this, this community of watch lovers that just want beautiful products. And we're not just, you know, till today we realize, I mean, we realized early on that people don't just, they don't just want to buy the watch. They want to communicate. They want to have a connection with the people that are creating products that they're putting on their wrist. And till today, our motto is that if you look at our reviews, a lot of our reviews don't talk about the watch. They talk more about the brand and the ethos and the DNA of the brand and how, how the communication is just so unique. It's just not, it's, it's all on a personal level. So all that sort of evolved from our Kickstarter campaign. Now that's the longest answer you've ever gotten, Chase. 100%. Oh, uh, but I, I love it, Chaz. We've had a few brands on that have done the, the, Kickstarter route, the crowdsourcing, crowdfunding route to get things off the ground. But I think you're the first brand to talk about crowdsourcing like their product design. So that's that's super unique, and I, I thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, it was it was really really awesome. It was really I mean, I don't know if it's possible to do it today. I think back then things were a little bit different. But I I mean I encourage every any any entrepreneur out there, if you're going to create a new product, you really need to think about um, creative ways to get it done. Like the tradition, don't think anything traditional. When I say like what people are doing today, you should say, okay, what are people doing in next year? Like what's going to happen in a year or two years from now? In the sense, like how can we be creative or change the way we do things? Yeah, that's fantastic advice. I read this book and I really wish I remembered it, but there was a little, like a little story in the book and it was talking about this guy had some sort of like home repair business or whatnot and he had to send two trucks out every time to his project, to his projects. You know, it was like one truck was like the asphalt, the other truck was like the water or something, right? And he's like, this is killing my margins, having to have two people do this, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, how can I save money here? How can I be more efficient? And you know, the traditional was, screw it, you have two trucks, right? But what he stumbled upon was how to do it differently is he just built custom trucks that had one half of it was the asphalt, one half of it was the water. He then cut his manpower in half, cut his gas in half, wow. and then he could send his actually he could send more people to more locations and his efficiency and his his profit just shot through the roof. So that goes in line with what you're saying is like the traditional way of doing it doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. And there's probably a better, more efficient way to do something. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You always have to think. I mean, like I said before, till today, we're always thinking in terms of like zero budget. I feel like that's a real good starting point for any new, either a project or product or any endeavor that you're doing. Think of it with no budget and then add budget 
as you as you fail to find creative ways but you know try to stick to the no budget motto as long as you can because i feel like that's where the creative part comes in i think that's uh that's often why funded companies fail is they throw money at problems instead of just thinking strategically about solving the problem exactly if you're struggling with scaling your sales, maybe Electric Eye can help. Our team has helped our clients generate millions of dollars in additional revenue through our unique brand scaling framework. You can learn more about our agency at electriceye.io. That's E L E C T R I C E Y E.io. Mesa is the Shopify expansion pack to level up your brand. By turning all your internet-connected apps into your business epicenter, Mesa can lighten your workload and tame the day-to-day chaos of running your store. Join other successful brands that have learned how to balance clever workflows with a solid infrastructure to get more done without more overhead. Whether you need to order data in Google Sheets, products on Etsy, or customers added to HubSpot, Mesa has you covered. Peace of mind is right around the corner when all your apps are working seamlessly together. To put it quite simply, Mesa is a better way to work. Search Mesa, that's M-E-S-A, in the Shopify App Store and download the app today. Is your store holiday ready? Now is the time to make sure you and your team are prepared for the busy season ahead. Gorgeous, an omni-channel help desk built for e-commerce has machine learning functionality that takes the pressure off small support teams and gives them the tools to manage a large number of inquiries at scale, especially during the holiday season. Gorgeous combines all your different communication channels like email, SMS, social media, live chat, and even phone into one platform and gives you an organized view of all your customer inquiries. Their powerful functionality can save your support team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. Merchants can close tickets faster than ever with the help of pre-written responses integrated with customer data to increase the overall efficiency of customer support. Their built-in automations also free up time for support agents to give better answers to complex product-related questions, providing next-level support, which helps increase sales, brand loyalty, and recognition. Eric Bandholtz, the founder of Beard Brand, says, We're a seven-figure business, and we have essentially one person on customer support and experience. It's impossible to do it without tools such as Gorgeous to help us innovate. Learn how to level up your customer support by speaking to their team. Visit gorgeous.grsm.io slash honest. Mention this podcast when you sign up to get two months free. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot G-R-S-M dot I-O slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Our partner Rewind can protect your Shopify store with automated backups of your most important data. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, and collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Trusted by over 100,000 businesses, from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like Nix, Gatorade, and Movement Watches. Best of all, respond to any of their welcome emails and mention this podcast, Honest E-Commerce, and get your first month absolutely free. Getting an online business off the ground isn't easy. So if you find yourself working late, tackling a to-do list that's a mile long with your fifth cup of coffee by your side, remember, great email doesn't have to be complicated. That's what Klaviyo is for. It's the email and SMS platform built to help e-commerce brands earn more money by creating genuine customer relationships. Once you set up your free Klaviyo account, you can start sending beautiful branded messages in minutes thanks to drag and drop design templates and built-in guidance. And with e-commerce specific recommendations and insights, you can keep growing your business as you go. 
Get started with a free account at klaviyo.com slash honest. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Quickly, though, I want to touch on the the Kickstarter stuff as you started to invest marketing dollars into that. Um, what I'd heard historically was, you know, Facebook, Instagram for prospecting, try to get those emails and then retargeted through that way. Was that pretty much the same process that you guys followed? Yeah, exactly. So we did a lot of prospecting um, beforehand. And then we had this real nice sequence of emails that explained our stories. I mean, the se- I mean one of the campaigns, the sequence was 10 emails. So they would get 10 emails over 10 day period, just telling them the story, like basically what I'm explaining to you, but maybe in more depth, you know, because again, mm-hmm. we realize that people that like watches, if we're, if we're prospecting the right audience, they're interested in this stuff. They want to get to know the brands. You know, there's a lot of things that are new. I mean, now maybe more brands are doing that, but you know, five, six, seven years ago, I don't think brands, you know, were, were, let's say, for example, you know, we never called a customer a customer here. For us, customer is a dirty word. Like we, we call everybody fans. We call people, um, ambassadors and advocates. Like we, that's our tiers. Like that's the connection that we're trying to grow. You know, internally, we always discuss mm-hmm. that we, you know, when we talk to people, think of it in dating terms. Like how would you, how would you talk to somebody if you wanted to date them? Right. I mean, we don't want to date our, our fans, but. The, the point is, is that, you know, if you talk to somebody and you, and he says goodbye, then you say goodbye too. You say, Oh, have a great day. And that person, Oh, you have a great day too. Well, hope you have a great week. And then you just, you know what I'm saying? You always be the person to say the last word. You know, you're the one that's, that's ending the conversation. And so they can move, you know what I'm saying? It just gives you a different feeling that the people really yeah. care. Um, we don't do a lot of blasting emails. We don't, we, and we try to personalize everything. So that people feel that it's a, it, there is a real comp, a real brand of passionate people that love kind of pick, making watches. And, and besides for having, you know, good sales, we really love the fact that people are wearing our product. Let's go to kind of the, the middle part of this journey. So there was a transition where it, it switched from being like a Kickstarter brand to being a, you know, a more traditional e-commerce brand and, more of the sales started to go through the actual direct consumer website. What was that journey like and in, in, in how has things changed with kind of product launches? That's a great question. Yeah. We, so we, at some point we, we, we realized that, you know, we just can't continue to do Kickstarter campaigns, um, you know, for, for a lot of different reasons, you know, from a production standpoint, it becomes hard. Also, it took up a lot of time in the sense, like, you know, these, these Kickstarter campaigns, people think you just put up a page. I mean, there was a lot of, planning the pre-launch there's a lot of money that you got to put out for prospecting that you're not 100 sure it's going to convert i mean it's just there's mm-hmm. a lot of different pieces in it um and a lot of people just a lot of people just don't want to do the kickstarter route we found a lot of people that had backed other kickstarter projects they got burnt on kickstarter projects they're like i'm never going back there again and so if you're relying on people to just continually go back to the kickstarters um it's just Eventually, you do need to make the transition, which is a great point that you brought up just now. And so, yeah, there was a, like a year where we said, okay, we're not doing the Kickstarter thing anymore and we're moving to traditional um, uh, Shopify, obviously, um, e-commerce. And that was a tough year because now you really have to like you, 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 you've honed in on your skill for launching products on Kickstarter and you have your model set and now you have to say, okay, I'm going to stop doing that. And I'm going to rely on traditional sales. Like, so it, it, 
it, it is hard when you're going from like $2 million in sales campaign, and all of a sudden you're struggling to do like a million and a half in regular sales. So you feel like you're going backwards, but that was pivotal for us to make that transition. And I would highly suggest that anybody who is going to go the uh, Kickstarter route, start planning early to make that transition because you cannot continuously do that both from, you know, from a lifetime value. If you want people to come back and buy new products, you know, obviously, you know, today's day and age, you need people to come back and buy products again. You need reoccurring customers. Um, uh, so, or fans, I should say in, in lift terms. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would, I would, it was a very hard year. Like we had to like scrap and like, you know, you were used to doing like, you know, 30 days and we do $2 million of sales and we just kick back and then just start doing other stuff and getting ready for our next campaign. And all of a sudden it's like, it's the daily grind of getting your ads up, your retargeting, your emails, your, your push notifications, you know, your calendars. Now you're working now, all of a sudden now I'm looking at a calendar, you know, my father's day, the graduation, you know, corporate gifting, all that stuff. I'm thinking about all those things now. So that was a tough year, but we, we, we did it. We pushed through it. And we still do launches. I don't know if, uh, if you know about this, but we have, we built our basically our own Kickstarter launch platform. So for new products, um, I don't know if you've seen it. We have, we had one just now. Uh, we launched a brand new watch on it. And basically, you know, we just basically target our audience and obviously some cold audiences, um, to come to our own platform that we control. That's our branded platform. Um, it just, it makes more sense for us. It's a more seamless type of, uh, experience from a technical standpoint as well. There's something to be said with, uh, there's some innate trust that comes along with the Kickstarter platform for launching a new brand. So that makes it, I think it makes it a little bit easier for people, especially uh, Kickstarter lends itself to early adopters, which I think in your space, especially with watches, people would love to be, you know, early adopters of some of the other legacy brands out there having an older watch, uh, one of the first or second models. Uh, so I think that that definitely is you kind of had, uh, you know, what is that called lightning in a jar or whatnot with those first couple launches, but you are right, you need to be able to transition to a, a you know, a higher lifetime value and keep that customer around and, you know, keep your margins a little bit uh, better. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know about that, but Kickstarter takes a fee. Um, so, you know, being able to do that directly on your own site is, is definitely useful. Um, doing those crowdfunded campaigns on your own site, are you using an app for that? No, we built our own custom. You did? Yeah, we built our own custom uh, platform. And then basically you could back a project. And then, you know, with Kickstarter, you have to wait till the end until you can select, like, for example, let's say we launch a product with four colors. There's no option unless you, you choose the colors. Like Kickstarter is great. Like for like someone's like selling like a hoodie, right? One hoodie, Mm -hmm. uh, one color. I mean, maybe a couple colors, but when you start getting into like, we're launching like new collections on there. So you have different strap options. You have different color faces. There's a lot of different things. You know, that you, that you, people want, you know, people want, they want to add more straps. They want to add, you know, it's different, you know, like I know games is super popular on, on Kickstarter, but it's just a game or whatever. I don't know. It was a uh, exploding kittens. My kids just told me about this game called exploding kittens. I have backed a lot of games on Kickstarter. I love board games. Right. So my kids just told me about this Kickstarter game that they, they, they did amazing. It's called exploding kittens. Have you heard of it? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I have. Yeah. So anyway, so I feel like that's really good because it's just a game. And then basically when, when the campaign's over, they just send you a link, either the backer kit or they have their own platform that they built and you just check out. You give them your shipping to address. I don't know if they have any upsells. They don't have any upsells, um, during that process. And then you just check out by us. It was just, we, we wanted people to be able to back the project get all their information. You know, Kickstarter doesn't give you their information until the end of the campaign. So you spend a lot of money bringing people in. You don't know, you can't track them. You don't know what, you know, what you, you can't retarget because you don't know who's coming to the page. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It's early adapters. I mean, some brands have made it part of their business. Like they run in parallel, like they'll run the Kickstarter campaigns and they run their e-commerce. Um, for us, I felt it's better if we build our own platform. Why should I push people to a Kickstarter campaign and have them go to a platform that doesn't exist? That's mm. not ours. Also, we built like a very custom checkout process. So they back the project. Once they get in, they can select their watch. They go through like a five-step process. It's very easy. We have curated straps that's specifically like so they could build their own custom stuff. And it's really successful in the sense that we get a lot of upsells on that. Um, they could, we have a, we have a section in there called backer deals. So these are deals that are only specifically for people that back our projects. Um, they get access to some crazy deals that we have because we, we're not a discount brand at all. Um, we basically pulled all our discounting, um, from the brand. We realized that people are not buying our watches because they're getting a good deal. They're buying it because they just love what we're doing and they're going to, you know, there's, you know, I highly suggest people reevaluate their discounting strategy. Um, uh, you know, add more value versus giving a discount. So, uh, so we built our own. We, we, we felt it's better and it's been really successful. We've, we've ran, I think four campaigns on there. Um, it's not going to do the $2 million Kickstarter stuff. Um, but then again, we're not spending a huge, huge amount of money on advertising to it. So I think we've done about two and a half million dollars on it over the last three campaigns. If you could go back in time and, you know, stop yourself from making a mistake or tell you to do, tell yourself to do something differently, what would you do? Be careful on the data, the anecdotal data that you get from, from uh, like feedback from fans or customers, I should say. So in other words, like a lot of times you'll have, you, you know, someone says, Hey, you know, I really don't like this, this and this and this. And everybody here in the office goes, Oh my God, nobody likes it. Da, 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 da. I think you need to do, you need to do a lot of research. I think in the past we've, we, you know, 10 people would scream out of a thousand. And then we think the whole thousand were screaming. And it turns out it was just 10 people screaming. And so we made a lot of changes on product changes or we did like, you know, we added more colors or other variations or we did a lot of stuff, you know, from our perspective, you know, our product is not cheap. There's six months, you know, to build these watches. And so, you know, we made some mistakes early on where we, you know, we, listen, we love feedback. Okay. But it's got to be like real proper feedback and where you have like real data where you're sending out surveys and you're saying, okay, what do you like? What you don't like? And not what I'm saying is don't listen to the 10 people that are screaming at you because mm -hmm. it's probably just 10 people that are just, they just scream at everything. Don't make business. Don't make business decisions on that. Yeah. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Is that the old, the old saying there? Exactly. Um, now, is there anything I didn't ask you today that you think would resonate with our audience? I think we touched on a lot of the stuff. The only thing that I think that's really, really important, I think, is we should probably should stress on is lifetime value as costs per acquisition go up um, mm -hmm. with everything that's going on, whether it's the iOS stuff or just 
cost of acquisition or finding people that are interested in your products. I think you really need to add, you need to figure out how to increase your lifetime value, how to add more value to the brand other than just delivering a product. Like what else are you providing? Think about those things. I think that's really, really important. You will, you, you will not, I, I'm, I'm not, a, I wouldn't say I'm shocked, but I'm amazed at how many people out there really are love brands that take an interest in the people that buy and wear their products. What I see a lot on the consultant side of things is it's it's astounding to me that brands don't have, you know, these upsell, cross-sell, bundling strategies to try to increase LTV. They fight so hard for that first sale and then they just go back and fight for another sale from another stranger and, and just kind of ignore the fact that it's 10 times easier to, you know, sell these things to someone that they've already kind of acquired that customer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chaz, uh, if people are curious about the watch, where should they go? Check it out. For sure. If you're a watch lover out there and you, you're into a fine Swiss watches from a brand that really cares about you <laughs> and about your collection, um, you can go to livewatches.com. That's L-I-V, no E, watches.com. And uh, hit us up on live chat. I'm on live chat. I answer live chats. I answer the phone. People are shocked. I'm like, no, no, no. You, everybody here talks to everybody. So it, it's we're a family here. You know, we're passionate about the products that we build, and we really love the community that we've built around us. Awesome, Chaz. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chase. All right. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own business. You can find all the links in the show notes. Make sure you head over to honestecommerce.co to check out all of the other amazing content that we have. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review. And obviously, if you're thinking about growing your business, check out our agency at electriceye.io. Until next time.